Well, thank you, Jungle Jim, for that wonderful musical introduction. Oh my goodness, man, you are just rocking and rocking and banging the keys on that synthesizer. Just banking them. Banking them. Are you banking them? Are you putting them in a safety deposit box? Or are you banging them, Jungle Jim? Because I'll tell you right now, nobody brings that instrument to life like you. That's right. That's right. This is Failing Up. This is Tim Marr. That's Jungle Jim, our musical director, the magician in the corner of our basement studio with his tip jar on top of his synthesizer over there in his football jersey because it's autumn and a big mug of cider and he's got an apple fritter over there and he's he's chewing down on a, what's that, a, not a pizza freeze, that's summer, but he's chewing down on an apple fritter and he's got a candied apple and Uncle Jim, Uncle, Uncle Jim, Jungle Jim, Jungle Jim is autumn extraordinaire over there. That's right, this is Failing Up. This is Tim Marr recording this podcast in the early, uh, the last official weekend of summer, but really autumn begins when uh, Labor Day finishes off and people put all their white clothes away, which I never understand. I think, you know, I'm just going to, by golly, I'm Jim, I'm going to wear some white pants tomorrow and just rock the world after Labor Day. But uh, autumn's in the air here recording this podcast on the shores of the mighty Seneca River flowing into the Great Lake of Ontario, which then flows north through the St. Lawrence Seaway past 1,000 islands and out into the Atlantic Ocean from the U.S. and Canada and out into the Atlantic Ocean around the world, just like my voice. Or if you take the, the Seneca River and up to the Oswego River and you hit the Great Lake of Ontario with the mighty waves and autumn approaching uh, the, soon the, the breath of November, and the memory of the Edmund Fitzgerald will be there. Tragic, tragic uh, shipwreck on the Great Lakes. And you make a left, you head over to Buffalo, where they have a really hot football team right now. The Buffalo Bills will play on Monday night. I'm actually recording this podcast on a Sunday. That's right, Sunday, September 18th. And uh, the Buffalo Bills, and you go, you go over Niagara Falls, you'll be right into uh, landing yourself, finding yourself in the Lake Erie on the shores of Cleveland. And you keep going, you're going to get into Lake Michigan eventually onto the shores of Chicago and Detroit. Make Lake Michigan, you ever fly over that lake, it's like flying over an ocean, for gosh sake. It's huge. But in any event, that's, uh, that's our um, geographic history and those wonderful inland oceans, the Great Lakes. If you ever get a chance, head into the Northeast, take a check them out. Check out the Great Lakes. You won't believe it. Just check out the Great Lakes. You will not believe the Great Lakes. But in any event, here we are. Autumn in the air, extraordinary events occurring all around the world. We have uh, the nonstop procession and, and, and uh, ceremonies celebrating the life of uh, Queen Elizabeth, who uh, has passed away after 70 years on the throne. Oh, my God. 70 years on the throne. I remember when I was diagnosed with hemorrhoids and the doctor said, get off the throne, Tim. Take the library out of the bathroom." And that's kind of how my mind works. It felt like I was sitting on the throne for 70 years reading magazines. But anyway, that's that's so horrible. But 70 years on the throne, my goodness gracious. All these presidents and leaders, or I think it was 19 uh, leaders, I forgot how many presidents, um, from Truman to um, our current president, Biden. It's just incredible. Uh, the only monarch that many of us, most people, over uh, 90% of the people have had in their lifetime. So it's really, you know, a huge loss, a historical moment, but that's extraordinary people and the, you know, the events and the celebration and the ceremony, you know, ceremony plays a role. Ceremony allows individuals not only to mourn, but allows individuals to realize that things are, you know, pomp and circumstance, that things are 
are uh, moving forward. Sometimes they also cover up uh, some of the activities, you know, behind ceremony. But um, but everybody, you know, there, there just are no really uh, ordinary people in this world. Those that go without ceremony, or those that go into paupers' fields, or those that whose lives many of us never realize what they did in their lifetime but there are everybody you know it's uh the, the old uh, song everybody is beautiful in their own way but there are no ordinary people people are extraordinary in their own right and the lives they live and the challenges they face and the obstacles they overcome and the responsibilities that some case and some are some are not ordinary in not the most pleasant way some are not ordinary in evil ways and in uh, malicious ways, in Machiavellian ways, but nobody's really just ordinary. There, there isn't anybody who's just kind of ordinary. And, I mean, there are the heroes and the parents that we sometimes hear about who raise families with multiple jobs and make sure that their children are fed, and there are those that take in the homeless. Those are, those are the people that I'm in awe of, and people who have saved lives through um, their volunteerism or, or overcoming addictions. You know, the, 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 uh, that's what I love about um, the program like Alcohol Alcoholics Anonymous gets ragged on a lot. So I think, you know, just because 12-step programs. Now, everything's a 12-step program. Everything's a 12-step program. If somebody screws up in their life, it seems like I'm going to AA. Call somebody to come in alcohol, you know. But uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is really a remarkable program. And the fact that one of the key elements to the program is being anonymous. So it's not like you go around and telling people, oh, I'm, I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous because by being anonymous is a form of humility, is a form of respect for those individuals that want to go into that program. So I always feel a little uncomfortable when I hear uh, a celebrity or a well-known individual talk about their sobriety because what if they fall? What if, because you're only human and it can happen. What if it does happen? What if you kind of stumble and you go back out and get loaded and say, oh, so-and-so did, maybe I will. But I think that's a really powerful piece of that program, that it's the anonymity. And then it goes into our lives, the incredible people who are anonymous in our lives. Some of the greatest people I've ever met in my life are individuals who you wouldn't measure as great individuals based on their careers, based on their job occupation, but you would measure them as great individuals based on their character and based on who they are. One of the greatest individuals I ever met in my life I was 20 years old and I was hired at a television station in Syracuse, New York. I wanted to get in television so bad. I wanted to get into broadcasting. And uh, I met a gentleman, the program, I think it was the program director. He was, he was worked there in the radio, Alan Miller. And Alan Miller got me a job as the janitor at W, it was WSYR at the time, eventually became WSCM. I was only the Channel 3 NBC affiliate. Now it's, it's all changed. But the, um, my boss's name was Wes Nolan, the late Wes Nolan who was the, the maintenance, oversaw maintenance at the station. It was And for a, a medium-sized market, at that time, it was pretty big, you know, with radio, AM, FM, and television. And it was, you know, the broadcast center of Syracuse. And uh, Wes had an office right in the, in the you know, the lower level of the basement across from the studios. And the kind of, you walked in, there was cinder blocks, and there was his desk. There was another desk, and there were things like filters in the office. And, uh, you know, a mop bucket and a bulletin board in front of him with, you know, with funny sayings on it. And always the paper was on his desk. You know, and Wes, Wes taught me more about life than most people ever. 
Wes taught me about how to be responsible and how to work. And Wes, Wes was like the, um, it was like the therapy session of the station. So at the time, you know, the salespeople would come down frustrated after the liquid lunches or the engineers and they would come down and they would seek refuge in that office, that cinder block office and complain about all the, the, the office politics that were occurring and how so-and-so was stabbing such-and-such -such in the back. And meanwhile, Wes would just sit there and listen like a counselor. They would leave and he would kind of chuckle and say, oh boy, can you believe that, Tim? And Wes taught me to always look busy even when you're not. Wes taught me to pace myself. So that job, I used to um, mop the floors and clean the station on Saturday and Sundays. And then Wes Wes told me, you know, always look busy. Make sure people see you working. Make sure you're emptying your the garbage in the newsroom when people are in the newsroom and mopping the floors when people are around. Because that way, people are going to see you're working and you're going to make yourself valuable. And that was a really important lesson. Make yourself valuable. And he said, and then, and then he said, you want to be in TV and then don't be afraid to talk and network and let them know who you are while you're emptying the garbage. And I did. That led into my summer job with Wes cutting the grass and doing the flowers. And, and at the time, the, the general manager of the station, Curly Vatabon Kerr, who was really tight with the new houses, loved his flowers. The, the leading up to the entrance of the station, there were geraniums and petunias, depending on the year. And he loved his flowers and he loved the gardening. And he spent hundreds of dollars on the flowers. And Wes knew this. And Wes said, make sure the flowers look great. And make sure you're there every morning outside at 8 o'clock when he walks down that sidewalk so he can see that you're doing that. And he can also uh, ask you questions and appreciate what you're doing. And I did. Every morning I was out there picking those geraniums and watering them and checking on the petunias until we put in the mums for the fall meeting, you know, Mr. Vadaboncourt every morning talking about broadcasting, cutting the grass. And Wes would say, even when you're not busy, Take the hose and walk around in front of the window so people can see who you are. And they did see who I was. And then he would say, pace yourself. He used to bring me in. He goes, you get a 15-minute break in the morning. Take your break. Come in and take your break. And every morning I would show up there at about 7.30 and Wes would have the um, newspaper out. He would have the regular section of the newspaper and have the sports section on my desk. And we would sit there from 7.30 to 8 o'clock reading the paper. And right at it, he'd have a cup of coffee. And I think I'd have like a glass of milk or something. And right at 8 o'clock, boom, papers went down. And he said, what you going to do today? And we'd go out and we'd do, you know, I'd go do my thing. He'd call me in at 10, 15, make sure I took a break, sit down, finish our sections of the paper. And he said, I'll see you at lunch. And I went in at 12, 12 to 12.30. And we talked about the morning. And he took the sports section and I took the rest of the paper. We talked about the news and the station and people would come in. And uh, the day ended at four o'clock. And then, you know, but Wes taught me about people and he taught me as people went down to that room. And he was just the greatest individual I had ever met in my life. And, and no ordinary man. He was, loved baseball. And he would uh, just kind of chuckle at some of the behavior that was happening. It seemed so important at the time, but he realized it really wasn't that important. He knew what was important was his family and the fact, and he taught me that work-life balance, you know, way, way, way back then. You know, and I think of other individuals like that who you, who, you, who you meet in life, you know, when I get a flat tire on the road of my bike the other day and this, this uh, woman pulls over, turns her car around, puts my bike on, says, oh, you know, fellow bicycler, I got to get you home. Extraordinary people, people who, you know, people who take their, um, 
lunch money and give it to somebody or people who who volunteer and don't talk about it people who volunteer and don't talk about it or the friend who calls you up out of nowhere or those that work in um, you know fields we don't know in the military all these extraordinary unsung heroes that we don't even know who they are but we take for granted wake up in the morning and take for granted not celebrities not individuals that the press makes famous or others make famous for the sake of being famous. And some of the individuals, you know, who are famous, they don't ask to be famous. You know, people, I always get it because people always complain about, oh, we're athletes. Those athletes, those arrogant athletes. Well, those arrogant athletes are not, they don't, they're not born arrogant athletes. They're created as a result of what they're given, you know, they're, they're, they have athletic talent and they're coddled. Because they're coddled because they provide something for somebody else. And as they go up the ladder and they become better and better and more elite through extreme hard work, they are benefiting others. So if they get to the professional ranks or they even get to the college ranks, they win scholarships to colleges. For you know, Let's just say basketball and football will stay with men athletes. They're making that university millions of dollars. And they're making those head coaches millionaires. So they're, you know, and, and they're being pampered. So, so they're conditioned in a certain way. And then if they're fortunate enough to make it to a professional sport where they're receiving these huge contracts, first of all, their time limit is very short in their career. Secondly, they worked very hard to get there and did make sacrifices. And thirdly, if, if there's an athlete making $30 million, you can guarantee the owner is making $100 million. And the second that athlete is worth no more, they're gone. And they put up with all the pressures of that. But they're, they're put in that place. You know, the individuals, we're the ones who revere them. We're the ones who put them on pedestals. We're the ones who do all that. Now, I love sports, and I, and I really appreciate the excellence of athletics. But don't rag on these uh, people, and don't forget the excellence of female athletics. But don't forget the person who's mopping the, the locker room, who probably and most likely many of these athletes take solace in sitting down and talking to, because that individual has a real thumbprint on what's going on and they're real they're not catering they're like the real deal I think of firefighters and the brotherhood of firefighters and why they're so close is because they understand what's going on you know I've been around celebrities for many many years uh, in entertainment and politics um, you know I I've been in the movie studios I've been with uh, meetings with the, the top dogs, actors, and writers like Aaron Sorkin, and politicians I met like Joe Biden, and dining at the University Club in Washington, and the UN cafeteria with the uh, diplomats up there. And, and I would rather be at a diner. I always rather find myself at a diner. Because at a diner, when you're sitting down there talking to people, they're just real. And they're extraordinary. When you see somebody you know, paying 10 bucks for breakfast and talking about um, their car or the fact that, um, you know, their kid is, is doing something or the fact that their kid's in the hospital. Just extraordinary individuals who make sacrifices and don't talk about it. So there are no ordinary people. Nobody's the same. Nobody's just ordinary. And who's to measure what ordinary is as opposed to extraordinary? Who says what extraordinary is when we talk about individuals? Who's to say, oh, you're extraordinary? Well, why are you extraordinary? Are you extraordinary because you had opportunities? Are you extraordinary because you're known? I don't know. I think everybody, again, in their own, I think mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles and guardians are just extraordinary. I think individuals who show up to 
to wakes and funerals to, to, to show the family they care are extraordinary. I think when somebody's sitting at a table by themselves at a staff meeting at work, and instead of sitting with a cool crowd because you want to suck up to them, you sit with that individual. That's extraordinary. I think that's kind of stuff. I think somebody who's playing an instrument in some dive bar with five people in front of them because they love music is extraordinary. I think an artist who paints and paints and paints their entire lifetime and no one sees it until they're gone is extraordinary. Or a performer who performs on stage, improv or comedy in front of a group and they're not on television every day and they're not known but they're known that night to that group who for that hour or 15 minutes or five minutes set took them away from their daily stresses and concerns. I think the individual, the nurses in the hospitals who we don't know but just do the dirtiest of jobs who literally clean our asses are extraordinary individuals are those that risk their lives to save someone they don't even know. Extraordinary. Or those with the courage, the courage to blow in and, and to the courage to stand up and point out atrocities. This courage to stand up and point out things that are wrong when it's not popular. Extraordinary individuals. The individual that makes you feel important when you're checking out at the grocery store is an extraordinary individual because they make you feel like you're the only person in the store. Or when you're panicked and you go into some place and ask for directions and they, they, they give them to you. Or you're panicked at the airport because you're going to miss your flight and they calm you down. Extraordinary individuals. And then there are those that are extraordinarily evil. Because they, they tip the other side. They're not ordinary. Ordinary is not always a good thing. Ordinary doesn't always have to be a good thing. You can be uh, uh, extraordinary in, in, in negative ways. Those that are narcissistic and self-serving and those that use power for their own gain, like uh, Donald Trump or, or the, that whole crew that don't see the consequences, or don't care about the consequences. You know, so but nobody is ordinary. There's no there's no cookie cutter. There's no ordinary. And the only the only individuals that set this you have to wonder who's setting the standard for ordinary. And maybe it's really that there are less ordinary people in this world, less ordinary people, and the majority are what some would consider extraordinary, which then makes the extraordinary when I talk about those that are self um absorbed, maybe it makes them a little less extraordinary, and the extraordinary people are those that are getting through life day by day, and that is an extraordinary feat by extraordinary individuals. I hear you, Jungle, uh, Jungle Jimmy, you're extraordinary. Anybody who can sit in that corner, play that synthesizer, suck on a cider for all of this time, stay quiet, wear that football jersey, crunch on an apple, celebrate fall, and I think you're going to be raking leaves in a month. Jungle Jim, Tim Marr, failing up. Bye-bye.